Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, hello. Welcome to Sounds Good with Brandon Harvey, the weekly podcast centered around hopeful conversations with optimists and world changers about the things that really matter in life. I'm Brandon Harvey, and I am so excited for this episode. This week on the show, we have Zach Houghton. Zach is one of my all-time favorite people. I've admired him for years, actually. He's the creator of Passion Passport, which is a community of explorers, creators, adventurers, storytellers from all over the world who love to travel. And not only travel, but in my opinion, travel well. I found out about Zach years ago when I was traveling almost full-time. There was a year where I did not have a home because I was just constantly on the go. It was not really on purpose. You know, I just moved out of my apartment and I left on a trip and then I didn't move into a new building for like a year and maybe a half. It was crazy, but it was an amazing year. That year I went to the Philippines and Hong Kong and I traveled all over the United States and I I flew back and forth to visit my now wife a ton. We were dating long distance. That was the year I went to Africa for the very first time. It was a game changing year for me. And this whole time, I was learning so much about the art of travel. And in a lot of ways, I really do think of it as an art form. There's all kinds of ways to travel. But I have come to connect so much with this idea of traveling like a local. And so that year in particular, I was learning how to spend time getting to know people in the communities I was visiting. I was staying in hostels and hotels and Airbnbs in the heart of the city, actually kind of being involved in the community. I was finding ways to give back everywhere that I went, um, but also to partner with the people that I was meeting along the way. It was a really incredible experience. And during this time, I found Zach on Instagram. And Zach, at this point, had been traveling for years, and he was sharing stories in a really meaningful way and sharing how he was traveling, and I really admired what he was up to. I loved it so much. So I started following along, and then we started getting to know each other over the years, and he's really become somebody that I admire. And so I was really honored when he reached out a year and a half or so ago to be a part of something that he was working on called the Passport Express. The Passport Express was this amazing experience where a curated group of creative people boarded a train on the East Coast and took off across the country to the West Coast, creating things together, learning from each other, sharing stories, and really getting to know each other. It was an unreal experience, and it introduced me to a lot of people that I really, really admire, that I think are amazing. A ton of our past podcast guests were actually on that trip. Jedediah, Ruthie, BC, Phil, all these incredible people I met through Zach. And I think it was a really, really powerful experience because I was with all these other travelers, all these other people who loved and appreciated the art of travel. And travel in a lot of ways really changes people. And in my opinion, it changes people for the better. Whether you're traveling just to the next state over 
or you're traveling to the other side of the world. There's something really beautiful about meeting people who are different than you, experiencing things that you've never experienced before, and having your perspective changed. And that's why I got along with everybody so well on this trip. And that's why I love Zach so much, because Zach has been traveling his whole life. You know, most people, myself included, don't get started traveling until later in life. But Zach, he was kind of born into the world of travel. And so in this episode, we got to have some conversations about what that's like, how that even happened. He's got a fantastic story. We talked all about about how his parents were both travelers. We talked all about the value of travel, the benefits that it brings. And because Zach has dedicated his life to helping other people travel, to experience this same joy and wonder that he's experienced, he shares his secrets on how to travel well and how to travel with purpose. Zach and I actually got to record this in person while he was traveling through Nashville. And so without any further ado, this is Zach and I sitting on the red couch in my living room. Enjoy. So I've been talking about it with Sammy a lot. And so many of my favorite people in the world were introduced to me through you. Like I would not know so many of my favorite people if I had never met you. And so I'm going to name some of these people, by the that's, way. That's a lot to digest <laughs> to like start off with, but thank you. You're welcome. Um, so let's roll through some people. Sure. Jedediah Jenkins. I've known him for forever, but we met through you. Okay. BC Serna. Yep. Who's former podcast guest as well. My friend Holly. Mm-hmm. Um, oh my gosh, so many people. I met Michael George because of you. You're a curator of people. You bring people together. I try to. I guess I don't really look at, at that you know, as, as what I do as that. And I think that um, sometimes people will pull me aside and say something like that and say, like, you're a, you're a designer of experiences. Or like even <laughs> at the end of, you know, when we spent the most amount of time together or where, where a lot of those introductions happened was on that train trip a couple, it was now just over a year ago called yeah. Passport Express. And um, we took a train across the country with a group of creative, brilliant people who live like brilliant, hopeful lives. Yes. <laughs> that was a great way of summing it up. And, um, but I mean, just some of the things that people, I, I don't necessarily look at my work as necessarily that, or I don't necessarily mm-hmm necessarily always see it as facilitating those types of things coming together yeah but then someone will look at me and say something like that and i'll be like and it'll stop me dead in my tracks what would you say that you think that your job is then in your mind if that's not your job um, which is fine how do you normally describe what you do i think first and foremost it's telling inspirational stories through travel Mm. and stories that inspire that uplift stories that challenge people's notions of how, about how they might think of another society or um, um, I think that it's it's stories that uplift, stories that challenge people's existing beliefs, stories that maybe inspire people to take themselves a little bit outside of their comfort zone. Mm. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that they have to undertake the same journey if they see Brandon Harvey go to Africa through Passion Passport platforms. And not, it might not necessarily mean for them that they have to buy a ticket to Africa, but maybe for them challenging their comfort zone means going to Canada for the first time yeah. or going, you know, getting their passport for the f- first time or whatever that happens to mean for them. We look at travel as a very individual experience and not necessarily 
you know, not necessarily as a prescriptive one that like yeah. you must have X experience in order to be a traveler. That's I think everyone, and everyone is a traveler in their own right. It's just to, to what extent or to what experiences yeah. they are chasing. And so the term passion passport, you know, your passion passport could mean you're really into music and you chase music in every experience that you or in every destination you, you go to, or you might chase the arts or you might chase, you know, incredible landscapes, whatever that is for you, you should do that. And we're trying to give you the tools to continue to do that. Basically. That's, that's a really good description. I really like that idea of there's no trip that's prescriptive. It's not like I should say, Oh, everybody needs to go to Africa. You know, I think about the very first time I ever traveled, I went to Trinidad and Tobago, which is like in the Caribbean. It's technically, you can see South America from Trinidad but it doesn't count as South America. And I was so disappointed that I was like, I didn't get to go to South America, but I could see it. But I went there and it was the very first time that I ever kind of had my, I was in high school, I think, or maybe about to enter high school. And it was the very first time that I ever saw people who were living in poverty, you know, and that's sometimes a lot of people's first experience tra- or it feels like their first experience traveling, you know, because sometimes sure. you go to Canada and you're like, oh, this feels like America. And then you go to somewhere where you're like experiencing poverty and you're like, what is happening? And it blows your mind. But those first experiences are different for every single exactly. person. And sometimes they will challenge your comfort zone. Sometimes it'll be something that's a little bit more familiar and you'll be like, oh, these people are just like me. Yeah. Or you will go halfway around the world and then be like, oh, these people are just like me. Exactly. There's these... You know, I think there's these varying levels of what travel experiences mm-hmm. can do and how they can like, you know, test that comfort zone or how they can get your your heart racing and, and yeah. stuff like that. And I think that's what we try and play off of is how can we inspire people? How can we engage them? But how can we encourage them to travel with purpose, with a specific idea in mind? So more than just going, coming to Nashville and saying, these are, you know, the 10 sites I have to hit up in Nashville. Rather than that, say hey, what is it that I want to do while I'm here? Who do I want to connect with? What project do I want to undertake? Which local organizations or, you know, grassroots organizations or um, brands that are doing great work or that kind of thing? Who do I want to connect with um, and why? I think that why question is something that's very Mm. inherent to um, what we do is like, why do we even travel in the first place? I think the fundamental hypothesis is that travel is transformative and that it will be transformative for like every individual, regardless of where they go, Mm. if they do it with intention and if they go there with a specific purpose in mind. And so I think it's just providing that encouragement and providing that, uh, that little kick in the butt to get people (laughs) out of the door sometimes. Cause you know, I think everyone needs it from time to time. They need that inspiration be like, yeah, I think I, I think I should undertake that passion project I've been thinking about, Mm. or I should reach out to this friend of mine who lives in X place and, uh, and go visit them because they're doing something that I really care about. And I'd love to collaborate with them. Mm. Whatever that happens to be, we would love to continue to position ourselves as like that, that little kick in the butt. That's really good. You, like are obviously well-traveled. You are an expert in travel. Like you're blowing my mind right now with these ideas. Your travel story began far before you. Tell me a little bit about your parents. I I sometimes forget because it's so normal to me, but it is so abnormal. And I think that um, my travel story begins with my parents 
before I was born <laughs> and before there was there was this chance meeting that happened um gosh what was it now like nearly 40 years ago wow. that my parents met on a bus in Guatemala and my mom wasn't even supposed to be there my and you're mom, not like Guatemalan no I'm not Guatemalan <laughs> um so the backstory to that is that my father at age of 25 bought a one-way ticket to Guatemala wow and said hey I want to write my first travel book and mm. he saw the travel writing that was coming out of Central America, and he thought, hey, I think I might be able to do better than that. And against everyone's wishes and, you know, <laughs> them telling him, like, no, you're not going to succeed. No, it's probably not a good idea. He went and he did it. Um, my mom was not supposed to be there, from what I understand. She was visiting a friend who was working at the Canadian embassy in uh, Costa Rica. Mm. Um, my mom's Canadian. My dad's American. And that friend of hers was like, hey, Guatemala is supposed to be really fantastic. I haven't been, but maybe you should go check it out. Hmm. So she ended up in Guatemala City, got on this bus from Guatemala City to Panajachel. Um, Panajachel is a lakeside town. It's it's by the lake, Lake Atitlan. And so she was traveling there by bus and uh, was sitting sitting on the bus. And this American man like walks down the aisle and... Uh, kind of looks at her and, and points to the seat next to her and says, is that seat taken? And that is that is kind of where my story begins. And mm. it's it's strange to pull myself back to that because that is the experience through which my parents met, which meant that, you know, once they had kids, travel was inherent to, like, the family experience. Yeah, and to, natural. And I, I don't stop and think about this as much as I should. So, like, as the story goes, my parents for years were like kind of writing letters back and forth. My dad stayed in Guatemala. My mom went back to Montreal. Um, they stayed in touch and then they made it work. And wow. uh, eventually uh, my dad came back from Central America. Um, they started a family. And from there they had kids. And when we were growing up, we still, my parents had this country house in Guatemala and my dad was still writing travel books about Central America. And for us, it didn't feel weird. I was yeah. going to Central America until like the age of seven or eight. So you started traveling early. Young. Like, yeah. I don't even remember my first travel wow. experiences. And it was happening with enough regularity that it, it just didn't seem that weird yeah. to me. But it wasn't something that like every, every month I was taking off. I was in school. I had, I had things to do. You know, <laughs> my parents were both raising three kids, but you know, we weren't jetting off every single, you know, chance that we got, but there were opportunities to go, you know once, twice a year. Totally. And um, to us, it didn't feel weird. But I realize now that, you know, in the early 90s, this idea of a family going to Central America twice a year wasn't exactly normal. Mm. You didn't have things like social media at that point where yeah. you could be like, oh, the Joneses are going off on vacation to Mexico. Maybe we should go to Mexico. We were the only ones doing it Yeah, <laughs> in our neighborhood of Montreal where I grew up. And so it's it's very interesting to look back on that now that like, yes, it was part of my identity early on. It kind of took a little bit of a backseat when I was in elementary school and high school and college because I was a competitive swimmer. And that mm -hmm. was such a huge focus in my life. And then once that no longer was as, as much of a focus in my life, it like reemerged right away as something that I wanted to do and that I wanted to be like a regular part of my oh, life. Wow. So what did you do right after high school then? Straight into college. Straight into college. Where did you yeah. go to college? I went to Columbia, New York City. Great. Um, and I'd always been a little bit enamored with New York City, but didn't really know a lot about it. And that's where my dad was from. Mm. But there was this American side of my identity that I knew nothing about. I was actually <laughs> like scared, like, 
yeah, I was scared out of my mind to go to the U.S. and to be like the weird Canadian kid. Turned out I was kind of weird and I was Canadian, <laughs> but like everyone accepted me with open arms. And we like fine. Canadians here. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it was a lot of fun. It was so much fun. And I think like being in a city, you know, being in a city like New York City and having access to the best of everything, whether it's the best museums, the best art, just the best food and culture. Best food. New York has everything you need yeah and uh and that was a really cool experience for me and it made montreal almost feel a little bit small when mm. i would go back to montreal and what did you feel like your time in montreal was like when you weren't traveling were you kind of just like sticking around the same parts were you exploring montreal like did you have a traveler's mindset in your own city it's a really good question um i don't remember necessarily having a traveler's mindset from an early age i was incredibly curious and i mm. think to this day i'm very very curious and i want to have the answers to everything i'm <laughs> just that type of person but um one of the things that my mom remembers is like i was so curious about bicycle chains mm. when i was a kid that i like put my finger into them and then got my fingers all caught up in them and they were bloody and you know and then i was you know on the ground crying i must have been like three years old or something like that but like it was because of that curiosity wow. and i wanted to touch everything and prod everything and and understand how stuff worked. Yeah. Um, whether it was mechanical, whether it was stuff around my neighborhood, whether it was animals, whether it was, yeah, I mean, you name it. So I think it was more, it was less about a traveler's mindset and more just about general curiosity about the world and like my role in it or mm. about how stuff worked. Um, going back, I think one of the really interesting things though, you talked about a traveler's mindset is I grew up in a bilingual society in Montreal and I never realize how weird my upbringing was or weird is the wrong word i never realized just how unique yeah my upbringing was of growing up in a bilingual society and i mean that in every sense of the word i mean i might have been speaking english at home i had my mother was you know british canadian on her side of the family my father was american so we were speaking english at home but up until the third grade all of my education was in French. Oh, wow. And then from third grade to sixth grade in elementary school, it was half the day in French, half the day in English. Hmm. So you would kind of be this idea of like two different cultures coming together or of these two different languages, you know, constantly be like playing off of one another was that idea was built at a very, very yeah. early age. And even to the point where in high school, it would be like, I remember in high school, it'd be like one year math would be taught in English and then the next year it was in French. Wow. And same thing with history or geography. And so you had this constant, you knew, or the hope was that you knew inside and out, like all of these different terms and ideas um, in both languages. And I think that did set the Man. tone for a lot of other experiences and particularly my love yeah. of languages and stuff like that from a very- Because you from speak a very what, five age. languages now? Five or six, yeah. Oh my depends, gosh. Yeah. I, um, I, I always wish that I knew more languages. I studied French in high school. Je parle français un peu. Um, C'est super. <laughs> um, but I, I, I kind of want to like jump on some of those apps and stuff and like relearn some stuff. Um, but it's, it seems like it's so valuable for just processing the world um, in more of a, um, in less of a one-minded way. 
you know, you're able to look at things from two perspectives with the, with language. You know, you're in your math class and you're like, oh, I learned this in French and I can also do this in English. Obviously, it's math, but like the same with history. It's like, cool, I've got a French perspective, an English perspective. Different words mean different things. Um, it's yeah. got to do something to the way that you see like bigger issues. Absolutely. And I was growing up in Quebec, which is fraught with its own, you know, tensions. Mm. And I don't know if you know a ton about like the history of Quebec, but I mean, I grew up at a, you know, there was the first referendum in 1980 before I was born, several years before I was born, but where Quebec tried to separate from Canada because mm. it really felt like it had its own identity and it wanted to, to run itself independently. And the second of those attempts, though, was in 1995 when I was about eight years old. Wow. And uh, I remember going to the rallies with my parents as an eight-year-old kid and with my siblings, you know, to support Quebec staying a part of Canada. Mm. And this was something like I still remember this experience extremely vividly um, of, you know, falling asleep that night on my mom's lap and seeing the look of just like pure, like I don't know what is going to happen next on my mom's face, looking at the TV screen because it looked like P Quebec was going to separate wow. from Canada. And um, for me, it was it was such a strange thing because I don't think I was old enough to really understand the the gravity yeah. of what was happening around me. But it was such a you know a, a significant moment i think for the province and mm. and in history there hasn't been another attempt since but it still is something that to this day shapes the identity of you know of the province yeah. from which i come and i mean that's only what 20 years ago and yeah. so you know so many people are still there's that tension inside them sure it's it's not like it's it's long in the past that's fascinating i feel it's, it feels like it, it was a while ago but yeah i guess 20 years in in the grand scheme of things yeah. really isn't isn't that much but i i think that from a language perspective though i think that having that experience was so unique but it set the tone early on that i was curious about other languages and you know me i love to talk yeah um and so i think that it, there was just this natural curiosity That's about cool. like, oh, if I want to, you know, forge connections with people in other parts of the world or whatever, the easiest way to do that is throwing their language and their yeah. customs. Um, and, so, and so I just kind of dove in after that. That's cool. What Okay, so what are your five slash six languages? So I... English, French. English, French from an early age. And then I took this kind of hiatus where I didn't learn anything else. And then my undergraduate degree had a language program and I could have placed out with French, but I was like, oh, Italian is really beautiful language. Mm. I really want to learn it. So I did that, um, studied it to a point of fluency. That was number three. And then the Beijing Olympics were coming up in 2008. And I told myself if I wasn't going to make the team, because I did get to try out for the Canadian team, Whoa, which was super cool. I didn't know that. Um, but if I didn't, if I didn't make the team, well, I might as well get position myself so I can like go and cheer on the Canadian team, yeah, or um, try and get an internship in Beijing. And so I studied um, Mandarin my entire junior year, and then in the end, rather than actually uh, do an internship in Beijing, I studied abroad in Beijing my junior summer mm. because during the academic year, it's pretty hard if you're a competitive athlete to take a full semester off and go study abroad. So I did that in the summer and it, it, it so happened that I was actually injured that summer. So it was the perfect time to do it. Great. Um, went to Beijing, had this incredible experience. That was number four. I also learned Spanish in college. And then 
after graduating from college, um, I actually took a job in Hong Kong. And the reason I got that job in Hong Kong was because of the the Mandarin skills. Great. And uh, my first career was in commodities trading. Did that for almost three years. Wait, let's uh, talk about that because that <laughs> seems that seems very different than than being the child of somebody whose parents met on a bus in Guatemala. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird to think about now. But um, <laughs> but yeah, moving to Hong Kong was the reason why I learned Cantonese. And so okay. that's that's kind of number six. But I feel like my Cantonese is more like, you know, it's, it's more just conversational. It's not necessarily at the level where I can have fully fluent conversations and stuff. Well, it's, it's a step better than, than my Cantonese, which is downloading an iPhone app when I was in Hong Kong that helped me talk with taxi drivers. <laughs> but <laughs> was it, it a lot of fun? Oh, it was so much fun. <laughs> love it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that was a a really interesting chapter in my life. I think when people asked me about why I did that in the first place, I mean, it was just a really, I graduated in 2009, which was the worst economy to graduate in since, I guess, the depression. Yeah. 2008, 2009. And And wait, what did um, you study again? I studied economics and then foreign languages. Oh, it's an even worse thing to, to graduate in at that time, huh? I guess. I think I think regardless of whatever yeah. you studied, it was really, really tough. So the, a lot of people were going to grad school. Um, a lot of people had done, you know, internships their junior summer and been guaranteed a job or signed a contract mm. or something that then just dissolved or something like that by the time they graduated. And I was just very lucky to be in the right place at the right time and to have this unique skill in terms of Mandarin knowledge to then get this job in Hong mm. Kong trading. Um, and I remember it was specifically a conversation, um, one of my cousins on my mom's side was a lawyer in Manhattan and I used to like, you know, mosey down from, from my college campus to go have lunch with him in his Mm. beautiful, shiny, um, you know, (laughs) legal office in midtown Manhattan, you know, once a month or something like that when I was in college. And I remember one of those lunches, he's, he asked me what I was doing post-college and I was like, I, I have no clue. Maybe I'll teach, maybe I'll uh, do a master's in economic development. I'm not really sure what I want to do. Maybe I'll go to law school. I, I had so many different ideas of where I could go. And he goes, well, you know, if you want to sell your, so-, this is wh- how he <laughs> put it too. And this is what's wild to me because now I'd be like, oh, that sounds terrible. But he said, if you want to sell your soul for a year or two, that's not the worst thing. Because you might make a little bit of money and then be able to like then apply yourself in a different direction. Mm. And it was really interesting because it stuck with me just in terms of a like, well, it might just set you up yeah. for it's like some comfort. really. Yeah, fundraising for yourself. And I don't know if I necessarily realized that at the time. But when I got the offer to go and work in Hong Kong, it was more about the experience and the travel than it was about the job itself. I was like, yeah. I get to I get to live in Hong Kong. Yeah, I don't know a thi- I don't know a thing about this place. I don't know a single person there, other than the colleagues that I met on the trip. Like there was a recruiting kind of trip when, right after I graduated from college, I went out to meet the team and stuff. So I went over, met with them, and it was the unknown. I think that captivated me it was this idea of like. I'm moving to this place where I know no one, where I'm doing something brand new, where I'm going to be challenged, but also where I'm going to get to travel. And, and that was the one thing that I think captured my attention a little bit or my imagination. Yeah. was like, oh, you, might be, you might, might be overseeing a lot of clients in China. Oh, cool. You might be overseeing a lot of clients in Taiwan and India. And as, as I began to prove myself, those opportunities to travel and like, you know, go to conferences or speak at them or meet with clients and work on bigger deals started to like multiply. And so I think that's 
kind of what kept me in it perhaps longer than than it could have been yeah and it's you know i think it'd be easy to be like oh cool you like sold your soul you like sold out um but it sounds to me like this was getting your heart racing like it was pushing you outside your comfort zone and you acknowledged that earlier as something that's really valuable and and i completely agree i think that like any time that your heart is beating faster you're like okay cool this is probably a good thing for me to be here yeah um, well it's really interesting because a lot of people look at look me right in the eye and they're like that must have sucked and you must have hated <laughs> that and i was like no and you know if any of my former colleagues ever listen to this like i didn't hate it yeah i think there's something about that experience that still got my heart racing i mean there's something about trading and international trading and having clients in different time zones and um, just like there are different flow states that every human encounters, whether that's, you know, as an athlete, I used to have that when I would step up on the blocks as a swimmer. Mm. Um, When I was a trader, it used to happen, you know, when I was in the middle of a deal and I had like a client in Central America or South America on the phone. And then I had a, you know, someone who was ultimately like, purchasing the materials who was in uh, China or something like that. And the market was changing and I had to make the deal. And, you know, it was, it was a hundred percent focus. I couldn't be thinking about anything else for that one minute. And, um, and now I encounter that in a different way in travel, Mm. either where, you know, you're photographing a moment and the light is changing really quickly and you need to capture it in that moment or tell a story or you're designing an experience and you have 40 people on a train and every, you know, you'll have these moments where it's like all hands on deck and your team will come together and you guys will have to rally very quickly to either figure out what your strategy is around something. I mean, there was a lot of stuff about that experience um, that was like behind the scenes. We were working on a ton of stuff, even while things were, were going. Um, That's fascinating. So I think the like, ultimate thought there is like everyone gets their kicks in different ways and every experience can still challenge you and take you out of your comfort zone in that way. And there were still a lot of parts of that experience that were extremely valuable for me. And one of them was travel. One of them was just growing as an individual in the workplace. Mm. You know, I was 22 when I started, I had, you know, I'd had client experience and I'd had internship experience, but never enough, never anything on this level. And so it was like the first time that I was getting thrown into boardrooms or being sent away on business to like India to meet with the heads of companies Mm. as like a 22 or 23 year old (laughs) and like going into that meeting and sitting down like I actually knew what I was talking about. So I think from that standpoint, you know, the company really invested a lot in me. Ultimately, I think it was a time in my life where I wasn't completely aware of what I wanted most. And so like for that time, it suited me. But then more and more as I stayed in it, it became very apparent that it was not what I wanted. And the more I stayed in it, the more I could see the cracks in what I was doing. Yeah. I just thought so many things that were normal about my job that just were not normal. Um, and and then ultimately I, I made that decision to resign. Mm, what was What was that like? Really, really scary. And it's not even, I, I know people who have quit jobs with like, you know, a family or with a mortgage or... I was 25 when I quit my job and I had no other, you know, I had a cat, you know, my cat <laughs> lived with me in Hong Kong and I was like, well, he needs a home. And he eventually ended up living with my parents afterwards, but I had no commitments. And so, but I was still scared out of my wits, um, to, to leave the comfort and the 
necessarily it was not a comfortable environment no. <laughs> towards the end. But you but saw the security. Yeah, you saw a path yeah. moving forward. You're like, oh, I can stay here for 25 years and I know exactly what it looks like. I can stay here for 50. Exactly. But it's it's, it's more that the, leap into the unknown. into the unknown. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when you the other interesting thing is I think the way that our in Western society, or in most societies, really, is that you know you go to el- to elementary school, then you go to high school, then you go to college, in in a lot of cases, and then you get your first job. But then after that, it's just a lot of question marks, right? <laughs> There's a lot that needs to be filled in yeah. there, and it's like, wait, what if that first job doesn't fit what you're really supposed to do? Mm. Then what's next? And I think that's where you know looping this back to a lot of what we do with passion passport when we do experiences the reason why the mentorship model is so present in every single one of our experiences is because i believe really really deeply in mentorship and in having people to help guide you or bounce ideas Mm. off of and stuff like that and when i made the um decision to leave that job in hong kong actually the two most vocal critics of me leaving that job were my mom and dad, both of whom had wow. left and traveled in their 20s. Why do you think that is? Because they were parents by that point. <laughs> and so for them, you know, the idea of having a kid who is like not really sure what they were doing or, you know, they thought it was potentially going to be uh, a really, really tough road, which it was in a lot of cases. It was There was a lot of learning that had to happen. There was a lot of growth that had to happen. But they were the two most vocal critics of this idea that I wanted to resign from this like, very just like this very like highly touted finance position into the unknown with no plan whatsoever and so i think they were coming at it a little bit more from a place of fear i had plenty of friends and you know i had a couple of mentors who kind of said look zach the writing's on the wall you still have like great experience under your belt you speak other languages you've got this great degree you will find something else but like to think that you will be like stranded without any any next steps or or, yeah. or any other opportunities would be silly which was kind of how my parents were making me feel which was really <laughs> interesting um but there was nothing to fear and ultimately luckily i did end up finding that that's that great next step you know it was the unknown but you had to leave doing something what did you do next uh i traveled <laughs> and so <laughs> what Surprise. was what was strange was that while i did get a lot of opportunities to travel um, during my time in Hong Kong and I did what's cool about Hong Kong is you get 20, 20 days off a year. So I wow. tried to maximize those, even though I could never really use them all up. What was interesting about that experience was I was traveling to places like India for two weeks at a time, but I would spend all of that time, virtually all of it in hotels and yeah. meetings. And there was actually this kind of unwritten policy at work that like, even if you didn't have meetings and stuff like that, you kind of stayed within the confines of the hotel mm. to stay safe. And so I would sneak out and I would, um, you know, there's this one story that I tell where I had a friend of mine who had just graduated, who was at the same, who had done her undergrad with me and, um, but who was a couple years behind me and who came and was in India while I was there on a business trip and came and stayed with me in Mumbai, um, which was also not very kosher within, you know, <laughs> the, the whole business framework, but we did it. And, I remember I had meetings on like a Saturday or a Sunday, but I was like, it's a weekend. Like, why can't I just like go out and explore a little bit? So at the crack of dawn, she and I got up and like rode the local train in Mumbai. And at that point I had discovered that I liked taking photographs too. And I had my first ever DSLR with me Mm. and 
I could not stop taking pictures. And it was the most, since having started that job in Hong Kong, I started to feel like a little bit more and more and, and spending a lot of time in Hong Kong and working 80 hour weeks or 90 hour weeks, I started to feel like my senses had been dulled a little bit. And that was probably this moment where I felt the most alive that I'd mm. felt in a long time. And there was something there that was staring me right in the face. It was like, oh, maybe you can do this more and more. But there were just these like small pieces. Like I'd either yeah. go on vacation or I'd have these small moments on business trips where I'd get to go out and explore either on my own or with a friend. And so when I resigned, it, it was more about I had no idea what I wanted to do next. Um, I wasn't ready... I didn't even know where I wanted to live next. I just knew that I wasn't really excited about living in Hong Kong anymore if I didn't have any reason to be there beyond a job. And so I set off and I'd given myself, you know, to my cousin, <laughs> to, um, to his idea of just like setting yourself up a little bit and giving yourself a little bit of a um, safety net. Um, I saved up a bit of money and I went off and I traveled for a bit and I tried to make that last as long as I could. And uh, I didn't know whether it was going to be like, you know, a month or two or if it was going to be six months. It ended up being almost nine months. Wow. Um, it was a really cool experience. But how I structured the trip was, or the many trips within that larger trip or time, was I tried to meet up with different people who inspired me. Hmm. And they, these were either like friends or people that like I'd heard of that I wanted to meet up with. And... I wanted to hear about, I, I think I had always kind of known that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I think there was something in me that had always, that that knowledge had, had somehow always existed yeah. within me. I think I even remember in a high school economics class, I being obsessed with, with the segment that we did on entrepreneurship mm. and on risk-taking and building your own business and building an idea up. And so I met up with different entrepreneurs or just different people who had taken themselves outside of their comfort zone. Yeah, they'd taken a leap. Exactly. Whatever taking a leap meant for that person. So for one friend of mine, one of my closest friends from college, she had taken a leap and moved to Chicago to follow her heart. And that man is now her husband. And they wow. now have... Actually, I don't know if you met her on the Passport Express, but she was pregnant when we were in Chicago. Um, oh, and, uh, maybe. Yeah. That's but, amazing. Like, there were all these like mini stories. I picked 20 people. I'd read... Um, Gosh, it's been a couple of years, so I'm blanking on the name of the uh, of the book that I'd read. But in this book, the author talks about your everybody and about your community, you know, mm. your direct community and the people you spend the most time with and how impactful they are on your life. This idea that, like, you know, the five people that you spend the most time with ultimately are a reflection of yourself. Yeah. And or they shape who you are. Exactly. And I looked around at the people that had shaped who I was in Hong Kong, and I was spending 80, 90 hours a week, mm. whether in the office or on email, with people who didn't really like their lives, who were just in it for the money, you know, who were just pretty unhappy people yeah. um, living and doing what they were doing, but they were making great money doing it. So they just kind of kept doing it. And that really struck a chord with me because I think that that was probably the moment that I decided that I want, I was more attracted to people who were living a life of passion. Hmm. And so there's no secret why the name passion passport <laughs> came to be because, you know, the company actually first was like my own social media handle while I was traveling around the world. It was like my passion passport yeah. when I was going around the world and meeting up with these different entrepreneurs or just people who had like taken the leap. 
And so some of them had done that for love. Some of them had done it for a career. Some of them had done it for a new city and a new experience. And the other thing in the background of this was like, well, where do I want to live next? Do I want to live in like London? Do I want to live in Sydney, Australia? What, you know, which type of city or which type of experience am I looking for? Yeah. Because I know Hong Kong is not that thing, but I also know that I'm not really ready to go back to Montreal or that was not really on the radar for yeah. me as far as the next step. So I traveled, I met incredible people. I learned more about photography and about storytelling and uh, and ultimately ended up back in New York, but it it felt right. That's good. Yeah, I love the fact that you like took that risk and took that chance, and it ended up paying off. And I think that it it always does. Not always the way that you expect it to, but it always ends up benefiting you in the long run. It always leads to a ton of learning. I think. I think jumping. A lot of people ask me, and they're like, "Is this right for me?" A lot of people ask me that question, and I'm sure you get asked that question a lot. It's like, how do you get into this? Is this right for me? Yeah. And I say, only you can answer that question. Mm. But what I can tell you, and similarly to this passion passport mindset, is I think that if you're ready to test your comfort zone, you need to decide to which degree you want to test it. Yeah. Not everyone is destined to be an entrepreneur. Not everyone is destined to like undertake their own business or to start, but like, Whatever that means to you, like whatever <laughs> whatever taking yourself outside of your comfort zone means to you and taking on passion projects yeah. and trying new you know, trying out new things, whatever that means to you is is what you should do. Yeah. I don't and know if that was the most eloquent way of putting it, but No, yeah. it's good. And it's 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 ultimately about not staying stagnant. You yes. know, as long as you're moving, you know, you can be moving like a turtle or moving like a like a rabbit. Um, but as long as you're not refusing to move, I think that's the key. And I think that was the thing that scared me the most about the job that I was doing in Hong Kong was I looked at some of the colleagues that had been doing, there was one in particular who had been in that office or who'd been doing the same role for about 25 years. And that scared me. The idea of like not really growing or not really, um, like, continuously testing myself and taking on new skills and stuff like that scared me. And I didn't want to have things mapped out that clearly. Mm. Um, and I was okay. I think I realized at that point that like, I mean, heck I'd moved to Hong Kong, not knowing anyone. I was okay with the unknown. Yeah. Um, and by that point I felt like I was, I was ready to leave. Let's talk a little bit about the benefits of travel because you and I, I first found out about you through Instagram, just following along with your photos. I've got no idea how long ago it was, but I remember just being like, man, this guy like knows his way around the world. And it's not that you were posting photos of like the cool hotels you were in or like the cool, like, like, like the fancy like restaurants you were going to all over the world. You were sharing these like genuine moments and, and more than anything, stories that made me think, wow, there's like stories all around. And I just want to experience <coughs> these stories in so many places. Um, and, and you already talked about how uh, you can go to like a business meeting. You can, you can travel with a passport um, and you show up and you never leave the hotel. It's like you've got the passport without the passion. What does it mean to... I like what you did there. <laughs> um, what does it mean to actually like, you know, travel well in your opinion? That's that's a very like loaded question. <laughs> You're but, welcome. Um, 
I think it's to travel with intent and to have an idea to, to what I was saying earlier in the conversation. It's to, to have an idea of like what you want to get out of that experience. Mm. You know, is it, is there this creative passion or creative muscle that you want to flex? Um, is there like a photo project or a writing project that you want to undertake? I think the response to your question is to travel with intent mm. and to have a purpose or to have certain goals in mind. And I don't think you always have to be going out and like chasing a story or chasing a photo. I think I spent almost this entire week in Nashville without taking a single photo and I'm totally fine Isn't with that. that. The best? Yeah. I think it, it has to do with just being exposed to different ideas, different languages, yeah. different sights, sounds, whatever it hap- happens to be and being open to everything. Yeah. I think that is traveling well to me kind of, translates to being open to all things that's really good it doesn't necessarily mean you have to be the guy who like oh there's an opportunity to go bungee jumping you have to go do that it doesn't necessarily mean to be need to be that it just needs to be it's just that you know it's just this openness and i think it's a feeling more than necessarily a prescriptive like you must speak the language or you must know you know about the history of the place before going there I think it's that you should be open to all experiences. And that that's getting me thinking because so many of my favorite people in the world are travelers. I think that's why you and I connected early on. And I think that's why we have so many mutual friends who travel, you know, and, and they're people that we love and admire. And it's, it's because they are open. And I think that that's a really valuable quality. And it's, it's maybe a quality that's lacking in the world right now, or not, maybe not even the world, but in in the U.S. for sure. You know, I think that that's that's been a lot of what we've been experiencing over the last year is um, is people closing themselves off, shutting themselves off in any number of ways. Um, but I almost feel like travel is the antidote to that. I think oftentimes it is, and I think oftentimes it's the reminder that you know you can go halfway around the world or you can go just to the next town over and you can see plenty of examples of people who live differently than you do, mm. but who aren't so different from, you know, they, they might have different values or different priorities in their life, but at the end of the day, like their basic needs are the same. And that reminds me of Brandon Stanton, the creator of Humans of New York. Obviously he documents the lives of thousands of people all over New York City from a variety of backgrounds. And, and New York is more of a melting pot than anywhere else. So he's getting people with all kinds of different experiences. But earlier in in 2016, he went and he documented the stories of like so many refugees, specifically Syrian refugees. And he helped people like understand these people and empathize them. And it was a really beautiful experience. It was this incredible example of the power of storytelling. Yes. And he, what I love so much about that series was he gave this very human voice and this very relatable voice to the refugee yeah, crisis. Yeah, relatable is a perfect way to describe it. So we took on this project, Documenting Refugees. It was this beautiful, powerful thing. Um, in some ways, unfortunately, this has become like a political issue. Like refugees have never really been a political issue until um, more recently, or at least, uh, you know, not in the big way that it is right now. Um, but it kind of became a political issue. And and you could say that it's in some ways a partisan issue. It's something that's more on the left. But what's interesting is after Donald Trump was elected president, 
Brandon Winton did basically the opposite. And he said, I'm going to go document stories of uh, people who voted for Trump because it was, you know, it was revealed that, you know, there is somewhat of a bubble in the world um, that Definitely. we don't know these people who are different than us, who maybe are just a few states away, a little bit closer to the middle of the country or something. And so he said, I'm going to go to Macomb County, which is this, you know, county that I believe that they voted for Obama um, th the last two elections. Uh, and then it went to Trump this year and it's this blue collar County. And he's like, I'm going to get to know these people's stories because they matter and they're important. And he went there and he documented these people's stories. And, and all of a sudden and that was very powerful too. It was just as powerful. And, and you got to have empathy for these people that you don't understand that are different than you. And that's the beauty about travel is it, it's not a partisan issue. You, you show up and you travel and you get to meet people who you, who you may agree with, who you may disagree with, who, who you could have conflict with, but you're meeting them and you're realizing that you have a shared humanity and, yeah. and you can't disrespect somebody when you've like seen their home and you've met their, their children. Like it's, you know that they like are just like you at that level. Yeah. Nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I think that that's fundamentally, it, uh, you know, you talk about fear of the other and fear of the unknown with, within the context of travel. And um, ultimately, travel has the power to reduce that fear of the other. I mean, when you look at things like bias that exists, and if you're, you know, if you're being told something through the media, but you've never experienced it firsthand, or you haven't necessarily had that opportunity, I think that what travel can often do, or in speaking to people who are not necessarily from the same place or sharing the same beliefs, is it can help you understand why they feel the way that they do. And mm -hmm. I think that that's what Brandon did so well, is, you know, putting a voice to the refugee crisis so that people could say, oh, like, I understand where they're coming from and I can, like, see a bit of myself in these people or in terms of, you know, the, the coverage that he did post-election. It's like, oh, these issues are the ones that matter most to these people. These issues matter to me, yeah. but ultimately, like, these other issues were at the very top for me. But now I can understand a little bit better why they, you know, made the decision that yeah. they did. And I think that travel acts often, if if it's done in, in the right way, it has so much power to do good in the world because it allows people to like reduce fear of the other and see that commonality that they might not see otherwise mm. with another population or another like mindset. That's really good. You know, similar, I think, I don't, I don't know, Brandon, I wish I did. Brandon, <laughs> if you're listening, I, you know, I'd love to love to chat and grab a cup of coffee, but same. um, in looking at his work, I think there was a point where every day after the election, I was thinking, like, what can I do? I run a small travel company. It's a startup. We like to do different creative ideas, programs that give people the opportunity to travel. I mean, the experience that you and I got to participate in, um, the Passport Express, was one of those where, mm -hmm. like, we gave people the opportunity to travel and to meet with like-minded young professionals and creatives who are doing impactful work in the space of travel. It was unreal. And thank you. And, um, but I'd been waking up almost every single day since the election thinking like, what can I do or how can I further the conversation? Me and too. so we'd been having a lot of conversations internally about like, okay, how do we, you know, how do we start to address this in editorial? How do we start to address this on social media? And 
Then one day I kind of came to my team and I was like, well, why don't we address this through a program? What if we created an experience that gave people who don't necessarily have passports the opportunity to travel? And we uh, were talking about this right before uh, the interview started. And I said, don't talk anymore. I want to save this for the thing because this got me so excited when you were telling me that this was going to happen. Right. And I think the fundam- to backtrack a little bit, I think the thesis behind this program is kind of like, I, we, we both live in the U.S., and actually, shockingly, 64% of Americans don't have passports. Wow. But we realize the power both of like local and international travel and you know being exposed to different ideas and culture that that has in opening us up to different, to different ideas. But I think the, the fundamental thesis behind it is that travel is such a gift, and it's such a powerful experience. And... Our hope is that more people have that opportunity. And so in launching this new program, which is actually going to launch next week. And by the time the people hear this, it'll have already launched. It'll probably have launched like a week or two before, which is amazing. Very cool. Um, and so in launching this, this new program, you know, what we're hoping to do is actually put a passport in the hands of someone who wouldn't necessarily passport. Yeah, who wouldn't necessarily have had that opportunity or have gone on a trip before. Mm. And so the premise is is this is that if you're Brandon and, you know, your wife Sammy has somehow never traveled outside of the US before, which isn't actually that uncommon. Um so I shouldn't phrase it in that way. But if if your wife Sammy happens to have never traveled outside of the US before or outside of her home country because it is open internationally, that you can then nominate that person to join you on an international trip. Oh, that's cool. And so you're so nominating I've, somebody else to join you. To join you, so that it's like a joint project. And I think oftentimes what holds people back of, I think oftentimes what holds people back from going on an international trip and like taking that leap is the fear of the unknown. And so I think oftentimes having a friend or someone that you trust to go along with you helps to like lessen that fear or that burden. Um, And so the idea that we came up with was that, yeah, you can nominate someone and you have a specific project in mind. You have a community that you want to interact with on the ground or a culture that you want to learn more about. And we will learn more about that journey both before, during, and after to kind of track, you Mm. know, how that experience affected them. It's very similar actually in format to a program that we've already done at Passion Passport called the Bucket List Initiative. I which, love this. Which um, I think has been really powerful. It's allowed us to tell these incredible stories about how travel has, um, you know, had such a profound effect on people's lives and the power of one experience when it's, you know, when it's given to one individual. And I think in this case, we wanted to make it very specifically for someone who'd never been outside of their home country before and who did not have a passport and to show the power of really the power of one passport. That's huge. Man, this, this gets me so excited. Yeah. I'm, I'm so excited to, you know, to just see what the ideas that people come up with are or where they want to travel. And I think our hope is to keep this program running all year. I think this was us, you know, putting our money where our mouth was and saying, mm. well, this is the world that we believe in and this is the power that we believe in. There, this is the power that we believe travel has in our lives. And we hope to give other people that opportunity. So it's going to be running throughout 2017 and hopefully we'll give at least three different, it wow. will run at least three different times throughout 2017. 
we're calling it the Passport Project, and it launches on President's Day, and we're so excited to get this underway. It's seriously so cool. I'm so excited, man. By positioning it to, to launch on President's Day, we just want to call attention to the fact that you know, some of the policies and some of the rhetoric that has come out of the current administration, we don't feel even remotely aligned with. And it's very much tested a lot of our core beliefs as travelers and as like, you know, in quotes, global citizens. And uh, so I think it does have some significance in terms of launching it yeah. on that day. Yeah. And that makes sense. And I, I love that you're taking action because I, I, I feel the same way that you talked about earlier where, you know, the, in the days after the election, I was just alarmed, confused. And in my the first day I woke up, I was I was honestly angry. And then it was really interesting how in the days following the election, my brain just started moving with creativity and thinking, what can I do to use my platform, my abilities, my passions to 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 make the world a better place? Sure. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's just when you see things that that feel like injustices you can either stand by them or you can you can take action on them and it doesn't even have to necessarily be a political thing that you take action with it's just you saw something and it inspired you to take action and that's that's what's huge yeah i think that it's it it can be a very polarizing moment though right you can either feel at one end of the spectrum like ah, there's nothing i can do that can change this and i'm just one you know i'm just one person then on the other side of it, your creativity might run wild and be like, there are so many different things and there's so many different organizations that are doing good or that I do want to align myself with in this moment. How do I do that? And Or how do I leverage this for good, as a friend of mine says? Mm. Um, that's like her mantra. And Such I think a good that mantra. to backtrack a little bit, I think one of my like fundamental beliefs behind Passion Passport and behind a lot of what I do is that we come alive in communities. And Ooh. that's where a lot of good ideas come from. That's where a lot of good, like both supporting, but also like constructive criticism comes from is, is from your tribe or from different communities and, and just the exchange of ideas. And so at the same time, we launched a speaker series at Passion Passport where we bring in different speakers to speak about like the inter it's usually on a topic that surrounds creativity and travel, but actually the next speaker that we're, we're going to be, um, having uh, as part of this series for the fourth installment is one you're familiar with is going to be John Freeman, Amazing. who's going to be speaking about systemic bias. And John and I were roommates on the train. I know. Yeah. And so, you know, looking specifically at systemic bias and the role that like different parts of the brain have in processing faces and in processing fear. Um, but also looking at, you know, the brain of the traveler and how that might be a little bit different or in terms of like how the different experiences that we have in social settings and how the different experiences we have can thus shape, you know, our fear of the other or wow. that kind of stuff. So he'll be speaking. That's on February 27th. I have no idea when this launches, but that's like another, you know, we're trying to tailor this both to like creativity and travel, but then also, you know, the different programs we're running and also the, the overall passion passport platform, Man, I suppose. <laughs> I love what you're doing so much. It's so cool that, I stumbled across you and Passion Passport years ago just because I was traveling and I and I was looking for people who 
were traveling with the same sort of passion, you know, that, uh, that I was experiencing. And, and now I align with it in so many more ways than just the travel connection. Sure. It's the community, it's the passion, it's the purpose, it's all these things. And, uh, I'm just so glad that you're doing this. This is so good. Thank you. Um, man, I was, I was thinking about this. I feel like there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I get it. Like travel is important. Travel is valuable but I don't feel like I can afford to travel. I don't feel like I, I can take the time off. I don't feel like I can, you know, there's a myriad of, of, I wouldn't even call them excuses, like valid things where it's like, I just, I don't think I can go to like Lisbon right now. I can't like spend For time sure. in Japan. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who thinks that? Well, I would say that like travel is, a, it really is a gift. It's an opportunity. And so like, you know, the ways in which I've been able to try to, to earlier in the conversation, they're not normal. The ways in which I've been able to travel and experience the world. I'm so incredibly lucky to have done that. Um, that being said, I think that like, it is all about taking yourself, um, outside of your comfort zone and adopting that travel mindset on just like a day-to-day basis of having that openness and that curiosity, Mm -hmm. even about like, if you're in Nashville, Tennessee, and that's what you call home, and you're going to go up to Chattanooga because you've never been there before, that's travel. Um, if you're going to go and see the next state over, that's travel too. I think it's just about like whatever is realistic within your circumstances. And so I'm never, you know, to the point about not being prescriptive, I'm never to say that like one experience is more powerful than, than another, or that like spending a month in Portugal versus you know, going for a weekend in to the next state over is one might be just as transformative and impactful as the yeah. other. And so I think it's about taking a look at, at what you can do within your current, within your current circumstances to still like, to still test your comfort zone a little bit or to still learn about the world. And, um, I mean, when it comes to finances, there are ways to travel, that are way more cost effective in terms of just like traveling with friends and, and, you know, doing room shares and, and that kind of stuff or utilizing services like, um, couch surfing or stuff like that to save on costs. Um, and so I think if anything, one of the things I've been thinking about more is like, how do we develop more resources on passion passport for people who, you know, who really need to travel on a more frugal level or who don't necessarily have, you know, the same, uh, the same opportunities to do it, whether that's vacation, whether that's family, you know, and looking at all of these different, um, situations or circumstances and kind of catering to each one. I mean, family travel is one. It's really hard to travel with kids. I, you know, I look at what my parents did and I'm like, I don't know how you did it. Um, (laughs) that must've been pretty hard. Um, and so family travel is one having limited vacation time is another, um, but I think there are a lot of adventures that you can undertake in your own back- backyard and that's the beauty of it. I mean, classic example, um, you know, I just went upstate with a really good friend of mine, uh, just a couple weekends ago and discovered a new part of New York state that I knew nothing about. And, and it was a lot of fun. And, uh, and I grew up like kind of just North of that area in Montreal and then had gone to school just South of that area in, in New York city. So I think there's a lot that you can do in your own backyard that's still cost effective and that still has the ability to like expose you to different sites, sounds, ideas. Um, yeah, that's good. That's really good advice. Along the lines of advice, 
you know, you have followed down a particular path that's gotten you where you are. Um, you know, obviously the goal isn't for other people to become Zach, but everybody should kind of follow down their own path to become who like they were made to be or who they could be or experience the fullest potential of who they could be. Sure. What's like a practical piece of advice you would give somebody that they could live out, you know, in like today to take action on, you know, hearing your story? I love this. Um, I'm a huge believer in goal setting. It's like a huge part of, I think, you know, my my upbringing and then getting involved in swimming and competitive swimming and that kind of stuff was goal setting was always a huge part of it. And first, like writing down what it is that you want to do or starting to like dream a little bit and create a splash page with different ideas or different people who inspire mm-hmm. you, who you want to talk to um, and figuring out how those goals each, you know, it could be three of them, it could be five of them if we're looking at like the year, but how each one of those goals is going to test your comfort zone a little bit and and why you ultimately want to do that. Like, what is it about that that goal or that idea that like excites you and like makes you want to like jump out of bed in the morning? And I don't feel like that, I don't feel that way every day, but a lot of days I do. And that's because I'm mm. working on things that I'm like, you know, I'm like, this is so aligned with what I yeah. want to be doing, or this is so aligned with like the world I want to live in. So let me like dive right into that. Um, so I'd say number one, it's about goal setting. Um, number two, I think one of the biggest things that I learned in, you know, doing that everybody project post Hong Kong is surrounding yourself with people who you want to emulate people who are going to like, tear your ideas apart from time to time, yes. but ultimately challenge you yeah. um, and ultimately support you like to surround yourself with people who believe in your dreams and who are going to be with you every step of the way is so powerful. Yeah. So I think the, the action steps are number one to write down your goals. Number two, surround yourself with people who believe in your dreams, but who are going to challenge you and motivate you and excite you. And then number three is figure out what those little steps are to get Mm. to those goals. I mean, if you want to start traveling a little bit more, like what are some trade shows that you can go to? What are some, like, if you want to start taking on photography as, as, uh, you know, a bigger part of, or as like a side hustle or something like that, who are photographers that you believe in? Write them a thoughtful email. Tell them why you admire their work so much. Ask them if you can, like, do some volunteer work for them or something to get your foot in the door to show them how much you care and start conversations with the people that you admire the most. I think that's oftentimes um, how I found a lot of success was just looking at organizations or at people who I wanted to like, I don't know. I just feel (laughs) on a side note, not that this is off the record. I just feel very lucky to be surrounded by people that inspire me so much Mm. yourself being one of them, like staying with Ruthie Lindsay while I'm in Nashville as someone who sees like, I would love one day to see the world with the amount of optimism and like light that she sees the world with and that you do too. And, and I think that like I was (laughs) to go way back, I was like brought up with a little bit more of like a glass half empty approach rather than a glass half full approach. And I think I have surrounded myself with a ton of people who like see the good in the world and see the power that people have in, you know, in shaping their hopes and dreams and stuff like that. So tying this back to your question, I think it's, you know, 
both as much as you can in your direct circles, surround yourself with people who you believe in and like both professionally for your side projects, whatever it is that you believe in, surround yourself with or like, you know, create a list of those people who you want to like emulate or you want to, whose brains you want to pick and who ultimately you'd like want to collaborate with or learn from. And I think you'll, you'll find a lot of success by taking some of those like mini steps to, to getting there. I think oftentimes it, the like with travel, a lot of the like early success just starts with the exchange of ideas and sitting down with someone for a cup of coffee or going out to take photos with someone or going for a walk with someone. Zach is one of those guys that when you're having a conversation with him, you just feel really comfortable. And I love this conversation so much. And, and actually, Sammy and I, afterwards, we went out for dinner with Zach. And we just got to continue the conversation. And let me tell you, this guy is genuine. He's the real deal. And he's full of so many beautiful thoughts. And um, I just loved this conversation so much. And I'm so glad we got to have it. One of the things that I took away the most was this idea that no experience is greater than another. A good travel trip for me may not be the ideal fit for you. Um, you know, the person that you're following on Instagram uh, who's sharing this glamorous trip that they're taking, you know, you don't need to go on that trip in particular to have a meaningful experience. At the end of the day, it is all about just getting outside of your comfort zone and pushing yourself, pushing your boundaries and trying something new. I think that's the beautiful thing about traveling. And as long as you go out with that in mind, you can do that anywhere. You know, Zach talked about this in the episode. They just launched the Passport Project and it's all live now. It's on the internet and you should absolutely apply. Don't wait though. Definitely go do it now. It's passionpassport.com slash passport project. And you can apply for you and somebody who has never left the country, who doesn't have a passport to go on an incredible trip together because travel really does help you better understand the world. And if you want to keep in touch with Zach and Passion Passport, just Google their names on the internet. I'm sure you'll find them. Zach Houghton, Passion Passport. They are so great. The best way to share sounds good with your friends is to just hit the share button in your podcast app right now or go to soundsgoodpodcast.com and share the show notes from there. Either way, I always really, really appreciate it when you guys share on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I've seen a lot of Instagram stories recently. That is so cool. You guys are amazing. And while you're hanging out on the internet, why don't you go to goodnewsletter.org and sign up for the Good Newsletter, where every single week I send out a hopeful email with five good news stories because you know that we need it. And uh, it's amazing. Thousands of people get it. You can join the community, goodnewsletter.org. And on that note, that is a wrap for this week's episode. Go out and do some good this week, and we'll be back next week with another conversation from an inspiring person. Sound good?